Hebrews 11, verse 23. Because of their faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. And the king's edict, if you're not aware, was that any Hebrew child that was born had to be put out or exposed and put to death um, because they were slaves in Egypt. And so it was their way, Egyptian way of eliminating the population growth of the Hebrew children. So because of their faith, they hid him instead of exposing him and putting him to death. Verse 24, because of his faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than all the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. Uh, I love this story of Moses. So before we look at it, let me just pray that God would teach us as we look into his word. Father, I, I thank you again for your word that, that reveals you to us and reveals to us the people that you have called us to be. Father, I pray that as we look at the life of Moses today, this man of faith, that again, Father, you would use his life to challenge our lives to in the same way to be people of faith, people that take you at your word, that believe you and live lives as a result that are different. Thank you, in Jesus' name, amen. Sure Singh looked into his Young, young son's face, 16-year-old Sundar Singh. And these were his words. We reject you forever. In the name of the whole family, I declare you are no more worthy to be called our son. We shall have nothing to do with you. We shall forget you as if you had never been born. You will leave this house with nothing but the clothes you wear on your back. Now go. Those were his words um, to his 16-year-old son um, as he drove him from their family, their home, their village, and their Sikh people um, in northern India. Sundar Singh left everything all alone, uh, spent the night under a tree clutching his New Testament. That was all he had left as he was driven from his home. 
Yet in the midst of his heart-riching pain, and it might be hard for us to understand, it says he was happy at being called upon to suffer so openly for Jesus. It's a true story. Um, I can't even begin to imagine uh, the heartache or the pain of being totally rejected by my family, um, my village, my people, everything. Um, it'd be like one of us in our, because we say we're a Christian, that here in Kitsap County, our family would disown us and we'd be shunned. We'd be persona non grata in Kitsap County, totally rejected and alienated because of our allegiance to Jesus. Now, I don't know, maybe some of you have experienced that or experienced some other form of rejection or disgrace uh, for claiming Jesus. It's interesting, as Sundar Singh, who became known as Sadhu Sundar Singh, Sadhu being a, a holy man in India, and, and so he wandered about for years all through northern India, through the Himalayas, and uh, proclaiming Christ in Hindu and Muslim villages, and in the midst of it experienced phenomenal um, deliverances and at the same time horrendous uh, persecution. Um, I don't think probably any of us will have to go through what Sadhu Sundar Singh went through um, in proclaiming his allegiance to Jesus. Um, but I wonder, and as we, we look at Moses' life this morning, what we would be willing to experience ourselves in terms of disgrace or rejection. How important is Jesus to us? And, and as we look at Moses' life, ultimately we're going to look and say, why in the world would Moses, why in the world would Sundar Singh be willing to experience such rejection and such disgrace for this person, Jesus? What, what is so amazing about him? Um, that would cause us to be willing to not be a part of the in crowd at work or at school or to be made fun of or to be the butt of jokes because of our allegiance to Jesus. Interesting, at the end of Sadhu Sundar Singh's life, um, this is what he kind of culminated his life by in this statement. He said, Dying for Jesus isn't what is difficult. It's living for him that is hard. And it's going to be his life and Moses' life that, that we're going to look at this morning as we're talking about living by faith. And so this is about our fifth week in Hebrews 11 and asking ourselves, what does it mean to be people of faith? People who have such a confidence in God and such a conviction about God that we're willing to live lives that are radically different for God. Are we that people this morning? Are we so confident about who God is? We have such a conviction about the God that he is, the God of the universe, the creator of the universe, our savior, that we're willing to go through anything for him. And so, as we've been in Hebrews 11, we've looked at Abel, 
and where faith gave God its best. We've looked at Enoch, where his life told us that faith lives for eternity and for God's pleasure. We looked at Noah, where faith isn't influenced by the world's way of thinking because it's so captivated and by God's thinking and by God. Last week, Daniel preached on that faith goes wherever God leads because there's such a confidence in God that we don't have to be certain about the future because we're certain about God. What a difference, huh? The confidence it gives us to, to, to do wherever, go wherever God leads and do whatever God says because our certainty is in God. It's not in what we can see or what we know. And so this morning, we're going to look at Moses. Um, and we're going to look a little bit in the Old Testament, but we're going to mostly look at this little bio here in Hebrews. And, and the heart of it is that faith accepts disgrace for the name of Jesus. Faith accepts disgrace for the name of Jesus. Uh, what about us? Um, we will look at what that meant for Moses. And I guarantee you, as we look at it, we, we read it there, what Moses went through is way more than any of us are going to go through. And so when we, when we look at what disgrace meant for him, we're going to say, why? Why was he willing to go through what he went through for the name of for Jesus, for God? And, uh, and my prayer is as we look at that, we're going to say, man, what is it about God that is so amazing that, that we would get that, that we in the same way be willing to, to experience or whatever, because God is so valuable to us. Are we people of faith? Do we know God in such a way that it gives us great confidence in him and conviction about him that changes the way we live? So Hebrews 11, I want you to look there. And uh, so first of all, we're going to say, what did Moses give up? Look at, look at verses 24 here. It says, because of his faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Um, that's incredible. <laughs> Jewish historian Josephus describes Moses as a powerful Egyptian prince who led Egypt's army into battle against the Ethiopians. Um, another Jewish historian and I'm going to really mess up his name, Artopanus, maybe, in his work concerning the Jews, credits Moses with leading a campaign against the Ethiopians and taking the city of Hermopolis. I mean, he was, a, he was the adopted son of Pharaoh's daughter, a powerful general, a victorious general in Egypt. Luke describes him in the book of Acts as educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and powerful in word and deed. That's Moses. Um, if Time magazine would have been in existence back then, I think he would have been on the front page. Time's man of the year. Powerful general, eloquent spokesman. He was like, he was the up-and-coming future most powerful 
man in the world. Um, but it says he chose to be known as the son of Amram and Jochebed. It doesn't say that here, but that's, that's, that was the name of his Hebrew parents, Amram and Jochebed. He chose to be known as the son of Amram and Jochebed, Jewish slaves of Pharaoh, instead of the son of Pharaoh's daughter. You get that? It's pretty incredible. Why? We're going to come back to that. It says he chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Now, I'm not royalty, although I, you know, I joked for years when I was growing up, and I'm Frederick, so I was Frederick the Great, you know, one of the descendants of Frederick the Great, king of Prussia, but they're no longer, so that's probably not too impressive. Um, so it's hard for me to understand what it means to be royalty and the privilege of royalty, you know, but think about it. He chose to be mistreated along with the slave people of God, the Hebrews, who were slaves in Egypt, rather to in, than enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. As, you, as we look back in Exodus, I mean, it was, a whore, it, was a, it was a hellish life. Under the tasks masters of Egypt, as they were building the, what we see now are the beautiful pyramids, <laughs> the treasure storehouses of Pharaoh, um, I mean, their life was an oppressive, horrible painful life and he chose to to identify with that instead of enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin and it's like he had anything he wanted anything was his comfort ease pleasure endless parties anything as flesh could want or desire but he chose to identify with slaves um the slaves who really existed to make his life pleasurable, he chose to identify with them instead of the pleasure that they slaved to provide him. I mean, what ended up for Moses was the privilege of leading, you know, maybe a couple of million honorary, incorrigible, whining people through the wilderness for 40 years to the promised land that he never made it into because of his anger expressed towards them at one time in the wilderness, never made the promised land and just had this privilege of leading these honorary, incorrigible, whining babies for two, 40 years. And, and he gave up Egypt for that, to be a slave. Um, why? When he had all of Egypt and its pleasures and comfort and ease, why in the world would he give all that up to identify with slaves? Then it says, verse 26, he regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt. All the treasures of Egypt, the, the most powerful empire in the world at that time, with all of its vast treasure, he gave it up. Um, he gave it up because he saw Christ as more valuable. 
says he regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ. It said somehow he saw, and we're going to come to this, he saw beyond the vast value and wealth and treasures of Egypt, and he saw something that was more valuable. Incredible. How could he do that? It, uh, sometimes I think, um, I mean, just put ourselves in issues. I mean, sometimes it's almost like uh, we give up spending time with God because of a TV show, right? <laughs> I mean, how easy we consider other things, fleeting things, the fleeting pleasures of sin and, and the, the treasures that we have here, we see, we see they enamor us and they captivate us and they capture us. And for Moses, far greater wealth, far greater treasure, far greater pleasure. He, he said it, he gave it up for something else. Uh, I, I tried to, to think of a comparison of what that would mean. And um, I came up with a couple ideas of what it would mean today, maybe in, in a modern day setting. Imagine if Russ Wilson had a son. If you don't know who he is, he's the quarterback of the Seattle Seahawks. They're a football team. Um, if Russ Wilson had a son and he grows up and out of the blue, his son says, I'm out of here. I don't want to be your son. I want to, I want to be Colin Kaepernick's son and a 49er. Okay, that's... It's a little bit. That's it's still a long ways from Moses. Okay, maybe a little bit closer would be if, you know, President and Miss Mrs. Obama have two daughters. Imagine their two daughters declaring to their parents one day, "We're going to be Republicans," and that's <laughs> harder to believe, right? The uh, and. And all of your policies and beliefs we reject. We're going to live with George Bush. <laughs> that'd be that'd be almost that would, we're getting closer, you know. Um, maybe a little bit closer. What if Bill and Melinda Gates' children, um, maybe the wealthiest people in our world, right? Billions of dollars. If their children gave up all of those billions of dollars, turned their back on them to become outreach workers with the Coffee Oasis, <laughs> that'd be pretty nice. Maybe if they brought their money with them, too. <laughs> um, I think this is the closest. The children of the supreme ruler of Iran, Khomeini. His children renounced Islam and turned their backs on Iran and converted to Judaism. That's what we're looking at here. I mean, that is, I mean, it's, it's, it's impossible to even imagine the children of the supreme ruler of Iran renouncing Islam, converting to Judaism, and identifying themselves, aligning themselves publicly with the plight of the Jewish people. That's Moses. That's Moses. So the question is, 
Why? Why would he do that? What would compel him to do that? Look at verse 23, and we're going to see two things that we're going to, we're going to focus on this morning. Two things. The first is in verse 23. Why did Moses give up all that and choose disgrace and mistreatment, rejection? The first is, I believe, because of the faith of his parents. Okay? Look at verse 23. It says, because of their faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child. And as a result, they weren't afraid of the king's edict, which I mentioned earlier was to, that they had to kill him, which was what all Hebrew parents were supposed to do with their sons when they were born. They saw he was no ordinary child. In Exodus 2.2, it says that Moses' mother, Jochebed, um, saw that he was a fine child or a beautiful child. Um, I mean, what is it? Did they look at him and say, man, now that's a looker, you know? I mean, he's a lot better looking than any other Hebrew kid, so we're going to keep him. Um, I mean, let's be honest. I mean, I mean, how many babies... <laughs> oh, don't go there, huh? <laughs> okay. I'm sure Penelope, <laughs> we won't go there. You know, to a parent, to a grandparent, but a lot of times, you know. <laughs> would it be worth death? I mean, that's what they were risking. And obviously, to any parent, real parent, they would say, I would die for my child. But, but the reality is, is that a lot of Hebrew parents weren't. They weren't. They didn't want to risk hearing the sound of one of Pharaoh's guards stomping through the neighborhood and their, their newborn baby letting out a wail. And not only then the baby being killed, but their whole family for, for disobeying Pharaoh's command. Was it, was it worth the lives of all of their kids and all of their family for one little baby. And, and so all the rest of the Hebrew parents, they, they were putting their kids to death. What was it that Amran and Jochebed saw about Moses? I, you know, it, we don't see in, in the text anywhere except that because of their faith, they saw that there was something about him that made them keep him alive. And I believe that it's that they, by faith, they saw God cause them to see that God had something special for him, had a special plan for him, that God put something in their hearts that compelled them to risk their lives and the lives of all of their family to save this young life because of something that God had in store for him. And so it's interesting. In, in Exodus 2, it says they put him in what is it, was it? A basket. That's not really literally what it says. You know the literal word that is used? It says they put him in an ark. It's the same word. Same word that is used that Noah 
was in, that God told Noah to build to, to preserve his family and, and the promised seed, the promised one who would come and be the, the savior of the world. And so it's interesting, using that same word, it's almost it's like God gave them a glimpse that this, this young baby being put in an ark, that God would somehow use him someday as the deliverer of his people. Um, so that the promised one that would deliver them, not only from, from Egyptians, but from the enemy himself, the devil, uh, could come. And so they put him in an ark, and, and they put him in the Nile near where Pharaoh's daughter, uh, Thermuthis, was known to bathe. Possibly because she was known to be kind or without child, and would take one of these Hebrew children and, and having compassion in her heart, would raise him as her own. And so they did, and and... If you've read the story in Exodus, receiving him back from Pharaoh's daughter who found him in that ark, she gave him back to Moses' mother as Moses' sister was there and to raise Moses. And I think what happened is we see the story of Moses. At that point, they, they saw God's deliverance and what God had in mind for him, and they began to raise him on the stories of Noah, who was delivered in the ark, and Abraham, and Isaac, and Jacob, and, and, they, and they raised him on the story of the promised seed, the promised deliverer who would come and crush the head of, of the Satan and, and be the one who would bring hope to the world in the midst of its hopelessness. And they told him that he was part of a special people of God that, that transcended not just one time in history, but all of history. That he was a part of God's universal plan for all the ages. And as they told him these stories and as they gave him a glimpse of who God was and, and the hope that was in his people and the promised deliverer that would come, it transformed him. It made him a man that when he grew older identified with those people and with that God because he saw that far greater than Egypt was this kingdom that God, that was God's. And far more treasure than Egypt was God's treasure. And it stuck in him. So his parents' faith, I believe, became his faith. Their confidence and conviction about God became his confidence and conviction about God. And we see that because as we move from, from uh, verse 23 to verses 24 through 27, we see Moses' faith. What did it look like? No, notice what it says. In verse 26 it says, there's two things I want, to, I want us to see about Moses' faith. It says, He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. He was looking ahead to his reward. And, and I just listed a few verses here 
to help us understand what, what he was looking ahead to. In Hebrews 11.6, it says, Without faith it is impossible to please God, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that God exists and that God rewards those who seek him. That's what he was hoping in. Hebrews 11.10. Talking about Abraham, notice it says, For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Verse 12. From Abraham, and he as good as dead because he's a hundred years old, came descendants as numerous as the stars on the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. And all these descendants were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. Verse 14, notice. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. But instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Not amazing? That's what they're looking forward to. Look at verse 16. As it is, they desire a better country, a heavenly one. Sorry. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. A city way more, way more impressive, with way more treasure than anything that Egypt had to offer. Hebrews 11.35, women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. What was the reward Moses was looking forward to? Something far grander and greater and lasting than Egypt is heaven. That's what it says. It's, it's really clear there. An eternal city, an eternal home, something that would last. It's like Moses saw with the rich man in one of the parables that Jesus uh, told in the New Testament. Um, the man who, and he, it's like he had everything. He built up his empire, and he said, oh, and this is great. I've got it. I'm just going to, I'm just going to enjoy this now. And, and, and God says, you fool. <laughs> you fool. You set your eyes on earthly treasure. You set your eyes on that which is fleeting, and, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to fade away. You fool. Jim Elliott, uh, a man that died, gave his life as a missionary, said this, he said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Get that? He is no fool. That, that's, that describes Moses. He, he, you know, the Egyptians must say, what a fool. I mean, look at what he gave up. The privilege, the inheritance, the pleasure, everything that the greatest empire in the face of the earth had to offer, he gave it all up. What a fool, but no, he was no fool because he gave up what he couldn't keep, which was fleeting and would, would after a few years, be gone for that which will never be lost. Eternity with God. 
uh, he was looking ahead to the reward. The second thing is, then, then notice verse 27. It says, because of his faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. You see that? He saw him who is invisible. He saw God. Meaning the invisible God, the God of the universe, whose spirit, he saw him as real. That God was as real to him as the gods of Egypt. Their gods were like the Nile and cattle and frogs and, and Pharaoh himself was, was God. They claimed to be God. And yet Moses was able to see that the God of the universe, the invisible God, was by far greater than these man-made gods, which would fade away and go to nothing. God was as real to him as the person that you're sitting next to. As real as we are to one another, God was that real to him. Moses saw that God was not just a theory or an idea or information, but he was a real person, the God of the universe that he could know. Is God that real to us? Is he that real to us? That, that's faith. That's faith. So what do we learn from Moses? I, I just jotted down four things that I think are that we can learn from Moses' life. The first is the importance of Christian parents telling Bible stories to their kids. Moses' faith was what it was because his parents' faith became his faith. I really believe that. I mean, how else could this young man that was raised from the age of when, when, when he was weaned lived his whole life in the court, in the palace of Egypt, just for those few years, probably five years, up until he was five years old. Those Bible stories, those stories of Noah and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and the stories of the promised seed were just ingrained in him so that, that even though he spent the rest of his life in the palace, he, he got that God was real and he got that the reward was Real and it was far greater than any reward that Egypt had to offer. That's that's the impact I believe Moses' parents had on him. Uh, are we are we telling Bible stories to our kids? Are we are we reading them, reading them, telling them about Moses and Abraham and uh, Jesus, helping him plant? in our kids at a young age, our children, a confidence in and a conviction about God. I think the second thing we learn is the importance of perspective. <laughs> Knowing the big picture, the, the God-sized story that we are a part of. Um, it's kind of like the, the story of um, the three guys that were working on a construction project, and somebody came up to one of them and said, what are you doing? And he said, I'm, I'm putting bricks on one on top of the other. And went up to the next one, he says, I'm building a wall. And went up to the third one, he says, I'm, I'm erecting a cathedral. 
Do we under do we know what we're a part of? So often in the midst of in, in the midst of life, we get so consumed with what is in front of us um, that we forget we're a part of something eternal. We're a part of something that began at creation and it encompasses all of history. We're a part of something that is the meaning behind all of history. God's plan, redemption, that's what we're a part of as the people of God. And so what, what often is hard for us to, when somebody would say, you know, we don't want to say, oh, I'm a Christian, because somebody will say, you've got to be kidding me. Have we forgotten who we are? What we're a part of? Have we lost perspective on whose we are? The third thing I think we can learn is the importance of living in the reality of the spiritual. Um, that there's more to reality than our five senses, what we see, smell, hear, touch, and taste. And, and honestly, most of us have a hard time living beyond that, don't we? <laughs> beyond our five senses. Um, and so the importance of that the spiritual world is every bit as real and every bit as important as the world that we see, smell, touch, taste, and hear. In fact, in Ephesians 6, it tells us our battle, the, the reality that faces us in the world day after day, it really isn't just about flesh and blood. It's not about our five senses, but it's about principalities and powers. It's, a, it's about the invisible world every much, every bit as much as it is about the physical world. And so finally, it's the importance of taking God at his word, even though we can't see, smell, hear, touch, or taste it with our physical senses, that God said it, and we believe it. It's truth, and we believe it. So how do we respond? I'm... This is going to sound a little bit like a broken record if you've been here um, the last few weeks. But how can we become people of faith like Noah? How do, how do we respond? I, number one, you know, in, in Romans it says that faith comes through hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. And, and there's no way that we can become people of faith, people like Moses, who, who see the bigger picture, who see the invisible world, who see the eternal reward and live in light of those things unless we're people of the book. Unless we spend time. It says faith comes through hearing this book, through reading this book. If we don't spend time in this book, we're going to be impacted and influenced by what others are saying or what the world is saying. And, we're, and, and our five senses are going to dominate us. And, and what people say is going to dominate us. It's not going to be the truth and the reality of the God of the universe that dominates us. We've got to be in the book. The second is that faith comes from encouraging one another. We've got to encourage one another. In, in, in Hebrews 3.13 it says, um, and my mind just went blank, I'll look it up. Hebrews 3.13. It says, Encourage one another daily 
as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We need to be daily encouraging one another and reminding one another of what? Reality. Who we are. Whose we are. So we see the reward and we see God. And number three, faith grows as we exercise our faith. So we must obey what we believe. We must obey what we believe. You know, one of the hardest, one of, one of the things that, that keeps us in, in, uh, so often in such a broken state and, and such an uncertain state is, is we hear the truth, who God is. We, we, we learn about the reward. We learn about who he is and what he wants us to be as his people. And then we go and we just, we live our lives. We don't obey. I just want to read one more verse and then I'm going to close here. In Romans 1, 16 and 17, Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, the disgrace it might bring, the rejection it might bring. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. It's the gospel, it's the power of God that brings salvation. Why should we be ashamed of that? Standing up for that. Experiencing disgrace for that. It is the gospel, the power of God that brings salvation. It is the hope of humanity. That's what we own. That's what we have. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. And I think what it's saying is, as we... As we hear the good news and we believe it and then we obey it, we grow in it, we mature in it, and it, it, it grows in us. And, and so it's from faith to faith as we hear it and we believe it and obey it, then, then our faith expands and it matures and it becomes more confident. And maybe it'll lead to something like this. Maybe it'll start with as that confidence begins. It'll, it'll start with being willing to bow our head in the midst of a restaurant with our friends who don't know Jesus, bow our head briefly and give thanks to God for the food. Now, I'm not trying to be legalistic and saying you got to do that, but I'm, I'd say maybe that's where being willing to experience disgrace for the name of Christ would start, or something like that. But as we do that, and our, and our confidence in who God is and whose we are in Him and how valuable He is grows, then maybe it would lead to us being willing to say, I can't watch that movie. Or I, I won't go to that place. Whereas before, we just go along because we don't want to be made fun of or you know, be called whatever. And as we obey that, then maybe it continues to grow with where ultimately we'd be willing to say to a boss who's, who asks us to do something dishonest, we'd be willing to say, I would rather lose my job than to do that. And so it's from faith to faith as we're not ashamed of the gospel, as we understand how amazing the gospel is and the God that we serve, the God of the universe, far greater 
pleasure and treasure and anything that this world could offer is ours in him. If we, if we get that, then we'll be people of faith. Let's pray. Father, uh, open our eyes to see you. This is what I ask. Because uh, what, what we see around us and hear around us and smell around, it, it so dominates our senses. It's, it's hard for us to see you and it's hard for us to see that you're more valuable and you're more pleasurable. And, and God, that... your God. Open our eyes to see and to be, be your people that you've called us to be. In Jesus' name, amen.